Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, Sportsman's Guide. Check out a link in the description below. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Survival Show podcast. I'm producer Ben. And before we get into today's Manly Musings segment, let me just remind you to hit that subscribe button. That way, you never miss any of our segments or shows. As you listen today, I hope this segment gives you some great food for thought to chew on for your day ahead. All right, let's get into it. Here's the man, the myth, the legend, Master Craig. Hey everybody, this is Craig Cottle, Director of Nature Reliance School and co-host of the Survival Show Podcast, coming to you today for another Manly Musings. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, I've got a really heavy subject for today's Manly Musings, and it's going to be something that I think is important that we wade through. I've come to understand that there is a disturbing trend in some of the survival community, particularly for those that are of high school age. And I'll give you some examples of what I mean today about this disturbing trend. And I don't want to just to leave you with this disturbing trend. I want to offer some suggestions as well on ways that we can combat it, both in the survival community and our communities at large, whether that is where we live, where we work, our families, and things of that nature. That way, I don't, I, I'm, just, I'm just the type, I don't like to offer problems without trying to offer a solution. Again, I don't, I'm not saying this is the solution, but I do want to do what I can to offer a solution. The disturbing trend that I wanted to discuss today is cannibalism. And let me explain why this has come up. I have a very fortunate opportunity to teach quite a range of people. Uh, I'm just very fortunate to be able to do that. And the range of people that I train are elementary school kids all the way up to high school and obviously adults, uh, adults that come to me from the public sector. And obviously, if you followed me very long at all, you know, I get the opportunity to train military, law enforcement, uh, government agencies and, and on and on and on. I, and quite a range of people, uh, particularly on survival and tracking and, and nature immersion and stuff of that nature. Now, with that said... My wife typically teaches the kiddos, particularly the, the young ones, middle school and on down. Uh, if there is a high school age group, then I go and train them typically. Last year, in the last 12 months, I taught three very specific groups that were all high, high school aged youth. Uh, two of them were at public libraries. One of them was at a school. And in all three of those groups, the topic of cannibalism came up and it came up from them they brought the topic up and the first time it happened i was actually incredibly disturbed by it because the person that was asking me questions was not only asking questions for it you know what 
you, you may be sitting listening to this and think, well, this kid's needing attention. And I don't think this kid was seeking attention. I, I recognize when kids are seeking attention. This kid was actually processing the idea of cannibalism. And so I went home, obviously, and discussed it with my wife and my, my kiddos. Uh, my kids, they're both in their 20s now. And there's a, just a lot of things that I miss because I'm 50. And so I asked my kids about it, and and they enlightened me about there's a couple of different, well, one's a TV show and the other's a social media presence that is promoting the idea of cannibalism. And a lot of high schoolers of that age and on up are just basically looking at cannibalism as if it is an option if things go bad. So, yeah, that's obviously incredibly disturbing to me. And the more I thought about it, I thought, why is it disturbing to me? Is there a, a rule, a law? Is there a social norm that's being violated? Is there something against a religion that's being violated? And the answer to a lot of those questions is, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of... of laws and suggestions out there that say that this is absolute no-no. But you all that have listened to me, or particularly those of you who are friends of mine that know me, know I am a man of faith, and I don't pretend to come on to Manly Musings to try to bring you to my faith. If you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. I talk about it all the time, uh, and I'm happy to do that. However, because there are people that are not interested in doing that. I want to try to suggest some things that will appeal to all of us, me included. Uh, those of you who have a faith and you're strong in your faith. And, and this idea that I want to suggest is just a, a code of honor or a code of virtues. Do you have one? Do you have certain lines that you know that you're never going to cross? Are there certain things that you know that you will do? Always, no matter what's going on. And I personally think that we all should. I think it's a vital aspect of running a proper society and a culture. If you get an opportunity to hang around military folks, they all have their own particular codes based upon their units. And, you know, they'll, they'll recite some of these codes and it's vital to who it is that they are, what they are. And under the stress of battle, which we can equate to under the stress of a real-life survival situation where death may be imminent, are there things that we will just not do and instead take the risk of dying? That's, that's a pretty heavy subject to discuss. Cannibalism is one of them. And I think if we can't, one of the things that I just, you know, it's just a line that I won't cross for religious reasons, for societal norm reasons. And there's just some things I'm not willing to do to live. So many of you uh, may have, and I don't know, maybe many is not right, but there was a movie that came out a few years ago called Act of Valor. And this movie, Act of Valor, uh, basically was a narrative, a fictional narrative that followed along with some real-life Navy uh, special warfare SEALs. And they went and in, in this movie, they just followed along with these guys in a 
in a scripted piece to demonstrate the capabilities and some of the operational tempo of Navy SEALs. Very interesting movie from my perspective. May not have been to you, but but um, that might not be your thing, but it is my kind of thing. Uh, but definitely it was it was a fictional work. And there are some things that I'm sure that were based upon missions that actually happened. But for the most part, the movie was a fictional work. But one of the things that was in that movie was a poem that is attributed to Tecumseh. Tecumseh was a Shawnee, and uh, it may be that his name is more properly pronounced Tecumseh. And if you speak the Shawnee tongue, maybe Peshua. I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with those um, languages, and so I'm not uh, keen on being able to share that. But just, just realize that when you read something, for example, like Tecumseh's poem here, he said it in his native tongue. Somewhere, somebody has translated it, and how much was lost in translation, how much was gained in translation, as it's been passed down, if, if, he, if he even said this, how much has been changed. Now, whether a lot has been changed or not, the poem itself is inspirational in many ways from my perspective. I thought I would share it today and then use it as a launching pad for helping us to develop a code of conduct. This poem has been a part of things that I've shared for years teaching martial arts, and, and it's a very interesting piece, but I'll read it for you now. So live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Trouble no one about their religion. Respect others and their view, and demand that they respect yours. Love your life. Perfect your life. Beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and its purpose in the service of your people. Prepare a noble death song for the day when you go over the great divide. Always give a word or a sign of salute when meeting or passing a friend, even a stranger, when in a lonely place. Show respect to all people and grovel to none. When you arise in the morning, give thanks for the food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault lies only in yourself. Abuse no one and no thing, for abuse turns the wise ones to fools and robs the spirit of its vision. When it comes your time to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. So again, I'm sure no matter what your religion is, you probably find parallels to what Tecumseh was saying to your own. I certainly do. And so that sort of training from Scripture and my particular faith supersedes what he says, in my opinion. But without a doubt, he has a voice in his put together and again whoever translated this and put it together has put something together that's quite frankly very inspirational so how does this all apply to cannibalism well it is my observation that these youth these high school aged youth that i have worked with when it came to this topic of cannibalism i would say things like well that's just a line that i'm not going to cross that's not something that I'm willing to consider and 
these high school age kids, and again, I teach a lot of these kids, so a lot of you are probably thinking, well, this guy's out of touch. He doesn't know how to read kids. Trust me, I'm not that completely out of touch, and I know how to read kids. I know how to read humans. They, uh, I'm sure some of them were trying to get attention, but there were a few of them that were very seriously all about if something happens, they're just going to eat other humans. They have no code of conduct. They have no societal conduct. They have no warrior's code, for example. They have no code of honor that their family has taught them. You know, my wife and daughter just recently spent couple days back in the mountains of eastern Kentucky where my wife was born my daughter had not been there since she was an incredibly small child and when she got down there and, and spent a couple of days with family and friends in that part of the world there was just some things that my daughter came back saying you know I understand a little bit more about myself and without a doubt that's true for all of us we're all born and raised oftentimes in a location where some of us travel, some of us don't. But for those that travel away from where you're born, it is built into your family's code, if you will. Let's just say that it's a code to act a certain way and do certain things. And a lot of families are different. You know, churches have their own code and their way of doing things. Um, temples have their own way of code of doing things. Workplaces, military units, uh, families in general, a lot of times have a code that is built into their emotional and societal makeup. And I think that's important. I think it's vitally important. There are some things that we all need to consider. And I'm telling you right now, if you're listening to this, you need to consider what your code is. What kind of things will you do? What kind of things will you say? What kind of lines will you cross? What kind of lines will you never cross under any circumstances? I think this is all very vitally important for us to consider. These kids that I'm speaking of don't have a code. They just simply did not have a code of conduct. Their family was not raising them and never talked to their family. I can't imagine anybody... Uh, accepting uh, cannibalism as just a means of, hey, this is what I'm going to do so that I don't die. It seems to me that that is an incredibly desperate move. And much like our poem that I shared before with you, one way that Tecumseh presented this, I'll read this again. When it comes your time to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death. That fear of death, I think, is very important, you all. So that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. That's what I mean by they weep, they pray, they eat other humans, or at least they open themselves up to that possibility. But instead, sing your death song and die like a hero going home. You know, Tecumseh acknowledges an afterlife. And I think we should at least consider that. Uh, that's obviously where religion comes in. The afterlife is typically a topic of discussion for people in their own faith, in their own religion. And I think it's something that we all should at least consider. Uh, even those of us that don't have a religion or don't have a faith, I think it's something that we sh should consider the afterlife. And what does it mean? What kind of things are we willing to go against societal norms to go against? Are we only going to follow man's laws? 
You know, this comes up a lot, and it's been heavy on me for last week, this idea of code. I've, I've had some people that are close to me, that in my mind, that are very close to me, that have broken that code with me. They, there's a code of conduct between friends. There's a code of conduct between what is typically referred to as brothers, whether they're by blood or, or just friendship, you know, somebody that you, that you would refer to and consider a brother. And I've had some people that have gone against that. Uh, they have broke that code. Now, for example, you know, they're, they're, I'm not saying this is what's happened to me, but uh, loyalty is a big thing. There's a lot of, of terms that come up with a discussion on virtue. Here's a few that I, I taught for years through a martial arts program that I developed. Loyalty, integrity, charity, sincerity, honor, bravery, courtesy. Maybe I'll break each of those down someday. But loyalty, how far do you take it? How far are you loyal to a friend? Is it worth breaking that loyalty so that you can make some more money? Are there things that you would do to make money, to advance your career, to live, for example, and go against a code? Some people obviously do that sort of thing. You know, charity, do we offer ourselves as servants to others or are we servants to only ourselves? These are all heavy subjects, I know. Very heavy subjects. Uh, they've weighed heavily on me over the last couple of weeks due to obviously some of the things that I've been mentioning. So I've got a story for you. I'm going to share a story that illustrates these points. I love storytelling, and I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I do love telling stories because there's a lot of times that metaphorical stories that teach us a lesson are the best way to communicate these. So the story actually comes from a book called The King and the Hawk. It's a kid's book. And yeah, you can find this book. You can read it to your kids. Uh, but I'm going to share this story. It might be even better instead of getting the book and reading it. Although I'm a big fan of authors, go ahead and buy the book and read the book. But just read it and then tell the story to your kids and see how it works for you. The story is about a young boy, basically, that was in a particular area and there was a long valley that had a spring in it and this is from many many years ago and while he was drinking from a spring out in the middle of the wilderness he recognized that this is probably the tastiest spring that he had ever visited in his life when he was a young boy now this young boy grew up to become a warrior and that warrior grew up to become a general. But in this in-between time, his people, his community, had been removed from their homeland. And so he no longer had access to this spring. And one of the things that he determined to do as a warrior, as a general of his army, was to take his people back to their homeland. So he did that. He set about the putting a strategic process forward. He gathered his armies. He had them trained. He moved his people back, and they uh, eventually got control of their homeland. Now, one of the things that was unique about this general was that he always had a hawk that was with him. 
and it rested on a shoulder. And when he was in battle, it would be basically like an old school drone. The hawk would fly up and, and gather information. And because he had a relationship with his hawk and, and some have attributed this to Genghis Khan. I, I don't know if there's any truth to that or not, but let's say that it's just a fictional account. It doesn't matter to me. It's a story to learn from. So, in this process, he had developed an incredibly strong and two-way street relationship with his hawk. So, he could understand the hawk and the hawk could understand him. Well, they finalized this one battle that was very difficult. And he pulled his highest ranking officers to him and said, Okay, there's four directions right here. I want all of us to go out in four different directions and there's a spring around here somewhere that I drank from when I was a boy, and I want to drink from that spring again. So he did. He went one direction, and three of his high-ranking officers went in different directions. And as they were riding on horseback through this area, he came across the runoff from the spring. He could see where it was coming down the hill. And so he's very excited, and he got off of his horse, he had a cup in his saddlebag. The hawk was flying around above him, just looking around, just doing a hawk, what a hawk does. And he put the cup that he took from his saddlebag underneath where the water was coming down the hill. And it was only coming in a drip. So he placed it there and just waited. Drip. 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 Until he got a full cup of water. And so he's very excited. I mean, there's a lot of historical, there's a lot of things that were appealing to him by doing this, obviously. So he picked up the cup and just as he brought it to his mouth, bam, the hawk came out of nowhere, knocked the cup completely out of his hand, spilled the water everywhere. And he was just flabbergasted. He just, he couldn't understand. What is, what is she doing? Why is, she, why is she doing this? And he looked and she went up and she sat in a sycamore tree about 40 yards down the way. So he picked up his cup, put it underneath the water and waited. Drip, 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 drip. Until again, he was gaining a lot of water, but this time he didn't have patience. And so he got the cup about halfway full, picked it up, and was going to take a big drink. And he looked at her at his hawk. She was kind of preening, looking like she might fly, but she didn't. And so he brought the cup up to his mouth, was ready to drink, and then BAM! Out of nowhere, the hawk smashed into the cup again, knocked it from his hand, and he was just completely upset and angry at this point at the hawk. Him being a general decided he was going to take care of business. So what he did was he picked up his cup, put it underneath the drip, and waited. Drip, drip. You get the idea. While he was waiting, he pulled his knife out from his side in such a way that the hawk could not see the knife. He again let the cup get about halfway full of water and then was pulling it up to drink and looked out of the corner of his eye and recognized that the hawk was getting ready to fly and knock it out again. So he pulled it up to his mouth 
And just as the hawk was getting ready to knock it out of his hand, wham, he pulled up his blade. The hawk ran into it, killed the hawk, and then slung it off his knife, put his knife back in the sheath and said, I'm going to go get to the top of this where this this spring starts and I'm going to dip into this water and get some water. He killed his hawk, the hawk that had been with him for years, had been dedicated to him. So he grabbed his cup, climbed the hill, which is not an easy climb, climbed, fell down a few times, kept climbing, and got to the pool of water that was the start of the spring. And just as he was about to dip his cup into the spring, he noticed that there was a dead, venomous snake in the water. Yeah. So the way the story goes is that the water was tainted. It would have killed him, the way the story goes. The hawk had seen it. She had been flying around the whole time. She had looked into the pool of water, saw the snake, knew it was going to be dangerous to her king, to her general, and was taking the necessary steps herself to save him. But out of his anger... Out of his emotion came an irrational decision to bring harm to the hawk and killed her, which there is no coming back from. For him, well, not for her, but for his relationship with the hawk, that's no more. So obviously, what's the lesson? The lesson to be learned here is to be in control. Look at things from an analytical perspective as best you can. Consider all the emotional ramifications. Develop a code of honor that is based upon your faith, your religion, your way of life, your family, your lineage, your your great-grandfather, your whoever it might be. Have a code of honor by which you live so that you can handle yourself appropriately when the time comes under stress, particularly under stress of imminent death. So yeah, this has been a fairly heavy subject. I'm always interested on what you all have to say or have to consider for it. Check us out over at the survivalshow.com. That website should be coming up at any point in time. Uh, Always, you can check us out on Patreon and comment there. Um, Anytime you want to send me a note specifically to me, Craig Cottle, then you know I'm the director of Nature Reliance School, info at naturereliance.org. You can always contact me there. Follow me on social media, and you can always contact me on my social media platforms for Nature Reliance School. Thanks for being with me, and look forward to chatting with you again soon. Maybe the next time I'll come in, I'll try to come in and not have such a heavy subject. But we appreciate you, and as always, keep it simple, be smart, stay positive.